Hello and welcome to Spacewalks Money Talks, where we talk about outer space business, technology, and policy. I'm Chris Alvarez, and today's guest is James Miller, who talks about planetary spacecraft navigation and about JPL history. This interview is being posted in two parts. This is part two. Thank you for listening. I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. The reason I got into the book, Jerry Hintz, he teaches at USC. Mm-hmm. And I started working uh, in 1971 with him on Viking. And he was doing the orbit, the orbit, orbit uh, mechanics for the, for the orbiting. And I was doing the insertion burn to get the spacecraft in the orbit. Mm-hmm. So I know him pretty well. I've been working with him for 50 years. And a lot of times I didn't treat him very good either hmm. because he was he was he was working on all his celestial mechanics hmm. and trying to understand it, but he wasn't very good with the computer. But hmm. we got through it anyway. And eventually he just got tired of JPL crap. And he he teaches he teaches at USC. Mm-hmm. He teaches a course in that in the astronomics in their department. And so he, they have PhD students, you know, in the department. So he called me up one day. He knew I was, you know, retired. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. so he says, "He says you have a computer program that that could that could be run. That this student in his way it needs a computer program to check out what he's what his theory. Okay, mm-hmm. and can you help him? Can you give him the computer? Can you? You know, I say, oh yeah, look, my computer program is in the public domain, and anybody can have it. He can do whatever he wants with it. That's fine. However, there is no user's guide or instructions on how to run this program. Hmm. Except what I wrote for the near mission. My program was actually used on the near mission to, to navigate the spacecraft. Hmm. Okay. And, and so I got, I got, so everything that I got in my book, you know, I, I, I'm just, that, that those have been, those equations have been tested by having them programmed into an actual software that was used to fly a spacecraft and, and orbit, orbit a, an asteroid and land on an asteroid and determine the gravity. I put the latitude and longitude lines on an asteroid. Oh, wow. I determined the gravity and everything. Mm-hmm. Jerry Hintz, uh, he asked me, and I told him, I said, I said, look, it would be easier if I, he tells me what he wants to do. I'll set the program up to do what he wants mm-hmm. and, uh, and and train him how to run it. And that'll just take about 10 minutes because he'll, he'll understand right away. But, but I have to make a run for him of, of what he's doing. Because setting the original setup is going to be difficult for him, unless he because he doesn't know everything about what, what how it works. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and and I started working with this guy. So I started doing that with with his with his PhD students. I would set, help them find out what they were trying to do, and then I would make the program do it, and then I would say, "Here's the input you make." And so that's how I got started. And he said, "You should write a book." Yeah. <laughs> and I told him, I said, "If I write a book, nobody's going to publish it." He said, "Well, why don't you send in a proposal?" And I thought, well, he's been telling me that for about 20 years. You know, he keeps asking me, when am I going to finish my book? And I said, I said, look, I'm, I'm never going to finish the book because I got those papers. If you want to know what's in the book, just read my papers. <laughs> but finally, he convinced me to submit a proposal. Mm-hmm. So I, I submitted a you know, two-page proposal to Springer. Mm-hmm. And I, I figured that since I don't have a Ph.D., I don't even have I don't even have a master's degree. Right. Yeah. But I but I have worked with people who are the smartest people in the field. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant. Caltech, Caltech has some very smart people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I work with some mathematicians. I I played bridge with them. <laughs> My bridge partner was a was a, probably the JPL's best mathematician. His name's Harry Lass. I mention him in my book sometimes too. Mm-hmm. But he was everybody liked him. But he was such a cantankerous person. He didn't. He couldn't get along with anybody. <laughs> and, and, and he he would play bridge with me. And I, and 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 I'm I'm bidding uh, three no Trump. You know, after some bidding goes on, and he said, uh, I hand my after after you bid, you know, and I, and I play the hand. Mm-hmm. And he said, he looked at the hand and he said, Well, he says you got twenty six points. You know. Or 29 points, I think, which is, which is, which, if you have that many points, that means I got a lot of high card points. That means that it'll be easy to win this contract. No problem whatsoever. So he, he, he folded the cards back and, and handed them to me. And he said, you won't have any trouble making that contract. He said, but of course you're going to screw it up <laughs> because 
Harry would never admit that it, Harry would denigrate everybody, <laughs> including me. <laughs> if you haven't been criticized by Harry, Harry last, and you don't know anything, he would never do this to anybody that was, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was only the smart asses that he would go after. But I played bridge with him, so I enjoyed it. And, and I didn't make the contract. So he said, I knew you were going to screw it up. I knew it. And, and the guy I was playing against is really good at bridge. Mm-hmm. He's as good as Harry. Bill Owen, he's the optical navigation expert. He's the, he's the world's leading optical navigation expert. For, but I know him for a long time. Mm-hmm. He looked at the cards and he said, with that opening lead, lead it was impossible for, for, for him to make it. He told Harry last that. Yeah. Well, you don't tell you don't tell Harry last that he's made a mistake or that he doesn't understand. <laughs> okay, so I left, and three hour, four hours later, about just about four o'clock in the afternoon, they're still arguing about this bridge end. Oh, and wow. finally, Harry last conceded that there was no way I could have made it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the, that. Okay, well, you had a question. I think, oh right? yeah, yeah. No, that, that was funny. Um, so uh, potentially, so I don't know, maybe a naive question. Um, a- as computing power has gotten greater over the years, has that has that changed your approach to how you use computers? Um, oh yeah. Well, remember I told you I was five years ahead. I- mm-hmm. I'm the only electrical engineer in the navigation section at JPL. Hmm. There's another section that that that, that does the uh, instrumentation for the Doppler and the range and all that, stuff. and they're, they're, they're so they concentrate on, on on the electronics and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But but I'm the the computer navigator guy, and I've always had the best computers you could get. So I'm sitting in my it's, it's about a week before Christmas, and I'm working on a paper. And I had never written any papers until I was 44 years old. In 1986, I think, the first paper I ever wrote. Because okay. my attitude is that you're, I don't want to be paid for being an academic. You have to pay me for being able to do the job. And, I, and I, so, therefore, I'm, I'm not writing any papers because that's a, that's a waste of time. Hmm. So, I was writing a paper. And this is about my third paper, maybe. And, and my boss came into my office and he said, is I got a mini computer? microcomputer, I forget what it was. I guess it's called a microcomputer. Right. Yeah. Well, it was a PC, in other words. Mm-hmm. This is the first, first one of the first PCs ever made. This is after Apple. I knew about the, about Apple a little bit. I was totally uninterested because because I, I use mainframes. You know, I was everything on a big mainframe. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, this, this, they they had this little uh, computer and it had a about a four inch screen, which was green, and it was in a box about you know, about twice as uh, two loaves of bread, you know, mm-hmm. and it was it was a video video video. It was not a you know it was a video screen, and this is in 1982, I think. Okay. And it cost ten thousand dollars for this for this little computer. So he wanted to, he wanted to give me one because he said we got a lot of money and it's the end of the year, so so we got to spend it. And I said <laughs> I said there's nothing I could do with that. I said I, I, I'll be wasting my time. And I said no. So then a week later, two weeks later, he comes back and he says. Uh, this is your last chance," he said. "If you don't, if you don't get it now, the money's going to be gone." I said, "Okay, okay." I said, "All right, get one. I'll look at it." So I went home for the Christmas holidays, and I'm working on my paper, and my fingers, my fingers get sore from pushing the pencil, you know. Mm-hmm. And I take this computer, and I set it in my bedroom, back in the corner somewhere, and I just forgot about it. So after after I, I got done with the paper and all that and it's getting near New Year's, I decided to go back and see what this thing can do. So I drag it out of my, uh, and put it on the table, and, and, and it, I could, I first discovered that I could play chess. But then what I also discovered is they had a program called WordStar, which is like, Word, I think it was WordStar, something like it. It wasn't, it wasn't Microsoft Word, it was WordStar. And it does, it does uh, what, what Word does, you know, mm-hmm. electronically does things, and you could print it. On a dot matrix printer, which is looked awful. Yeah. <laughs> so once I discovered that, I never picked up a pencil again. Uh. <laughs> Even though my hand no longer has the has the callus on it where I hold the pencil. <laughs> and I and what I did is I and it, me and another guy who, who was from Aeros that I knew from JPL that went to uh, aerospace. We we met at a conference a couple months later, mm. and, we're, and I'm bragging. I said. I said, guess what? I did this paper all by myself. 
And he said, he, he, made, he said, I did too. I said, well, the problem is a dot matrix printer is, is, is awful print for, for, for a conference paper. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, what I discovered was that if you, if you, if you do it on, on 18 inch by 14 inch, you know, big sheets of paper and split column, so, so you, you could, you could, you print out dot matrix stuff and then paste it on here, see? And then the figures are pasted on too. That's the way they used to do it. I knew that's the way they used to do it. Mm-hmm. And then, so you have this big thing, you know. But when you shrink it down to eight and a half by eleven, the dot matrix looks like just regular type. Uh. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. so I said, "Gee, this is it. I can do my papers now." Yeah. So I, I figured that out, and, I, and 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 so I do. I started doing all my papers that way. But but as far as the computers are concerned, yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, I uh, was able to. One of the first jobs I had, I had only a month. I actually designed a computer. Hmm. It was, it, I was at Westinghouse, and I, I went down to um, Baltimore for a one-month stay. And at that time, Westinghouse had a training program for engineers, and they, you go to different companies, and then they, you decide which one you want to go work for. Okay. And I went in as one, and it was doing a, a control system for a, a Lunenburg lens they put on an aircraft carrier and it, it enables it to, to radar lens. And so they wanted to test the radar by, by uh, t- turning the lens around on a platform and then having the antenna shine on it. And so it needed, it needed a, 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 a computer control system. Mm-hmm. So you, so he sat down on a, being the, the boss, uh, I sat down and, and designed a, uh, a, a computer. And he, he helped me, of course. I mean, I, but he, I had a clock, you know, just a, a clock. And then, and then you had these flip-flops and end gates and or gates and all this kind of stuff. The, the fundamental parts of a computer, which are now on chips, you know, all this stuff is on a chip. Mm-hmm. At that time, each, each little fundamental part of a computer, like a summing, summing you know, were all, all on, on cards. Okay. So this computer, which was about, had a lot less capability than my watch. It would fill up about a room full of cabinets of, of, of cards. <laughs> right. Room, but a couple of cabinets full of cards. Right. Each card had a flip-flop on it. you got 10,000 flip-flops. You're, 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 my cell phone, or this, uh, when I look at it, it, it's about a billion times bigger than that computer was. I, mean, I designed that. So, right. I, so I knew how computers worked. And, and I always programmed in Fortran. I never gave up pro- pro- programming in Fortran. Mm-hmm. New languages would come along. I knew that the new languages would, would only last for a couple of years, and there would be another new one. And it would never be any better than Fortran. Huh. They'd make improvements to Fortran, which would keep, a, keep ahead of anything that they were doing. So I went through about 10 different languages, but I wrote all my programs in Fortran, and I kept them all. Mm-hmm. So I have a big library. I have about 30,000. I don't know. I don't, I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. You can find more information on the Springer website for the book. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it and review it if you can. Please go to my Facebook page, Spacewalks Money Talks, to find links to interesting space-related videos created by others. Please go to my Twitter page at SpacewalksMT, for links to space news and science information. Please check out my Instagram page, Spacewalks Money Talks, for space photos. Please check out my YouTube channel, Spacewalks Money Talks, for space-related videos I've made. You can also sign up for my newsletter at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. In the newsletter, I post video and news links, as well as regular updates on new space, science, business, and history books being published. If you're interested in other kinds of history, such as military history, or film TV books and comic books history, including science fiction, fantasy, and horror themes, you can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal. Historyrabbithole.com. Thank you for your support. And now back to the podcast. Thousands of programs and subroutines that I've kept up. Wow. And I knew that I could always find a Fortran compiler to to uh, when 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 I switch computers. So they switch mainframes, and we had IBM computer uh, around 1969, 70, and then around 70 when I was gone, they switched to a Univac 1108. Mm-hmm. And I come walking in, and 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 uh, all the software 
that we use for navigation would not run on the 1108 without a very expensive conversion. And so we almost had to start and re, re, <laughs> re, reinvent a whole new set of programs. Right. I just took my deck of cards in Fortran and I just dropped them into the 1108 and figured out how to make it run. And I had my software was all, all running without any problem at all. Hmm. It took me a day to get, to get back online. Oh, wow. From that point on, I always tried to keep ahead of the curve and knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the programs would keep, keep getting faster and faster. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I use is in my book on Monte Carlo. You can, the Monte Carlo takes a lot of time on a computer. Mm-hmm. and But you need samples. And what you'd like to have is like 5,000 samples. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, back at, when I was at Lockheed Martin, one sample cost about a hundred bucks to run on a computer. So we, we had 29 samples mm-hmm. 30, maybe something like that. Yeah. So that's not enough to really get gather statistics. I mean, if you're, if you want to determine who's going to be president of the United States, you go out and interview 30 people. That's not going to give you a very reliable estimate, right? Mm-hmm. But that was, that was the, that's what we did for, for this missile or this spacecraft that we're going to send to Quantiline. We, we, we want to get it at 10 seconds, 10, a 10 mile circle. So we'd run 29 and if they all went inside the circle, we'd say, okay, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, by the time I got the Viking, the, uh, I, I started running my software, which, which to do this optimization, I have to optimize every, every sample. So that took us some time. And I inverted like about a thousand six by six matrices. I had, a, I, anyhow, I do a 500 sample and that took an hour of CPU time. Mm-hmm. And, it inverted like 40,000 six by six matrices to do that in an hour. And it cost $800 for one run. Oh, wow. So I'm making these runs. And since the Viking is a billion dollar project, you know, a few million for here, a few million there. Mm-hmm. After a while, it adds up to some real money, you know, but for yeah. 40,000, a uh, thousand bucks is nothing. Mm-hmm. Whereas everybody else, they were lucky to get $10,000 for a budget for a month. Mm-hmm. I would blow their month's budget in one run. <laughs> and and, yeah. and uh, one time I ran a computer. This is at Martin, mm-hmm. and I, I flew the spacecraft to Kwajalein, uh, and, it, and I'm integrating in. When it got into within ten miles of Kwajalein, it would stop. The program would stop. Okay. Okay. So I come in one morning, and there's a stack of paper about two feet high, and a, and a computer must have run run for hours on this thing to get it to do it. And I thought, what the heck happened? Well, what happened was I missed the 10-mile circle, and I didn't have a stop in there that when it hit the surface of the Earth, it would stop. So it went in, it, it went straight, it came, came in just like the shuttle trajectory. Mm-hmm. If you look at the shuttle when it comes in, if you're staying, I was doing this, when it's coming in, you have to look straight up. It, it's like it's dropping like a rock right straight on top of you. Mm-hmm. Well, this thing was doing that, and it went right straight down, it went through the center of the Earth, over over to uh, 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 whatever is on the other side, like China, mm-hmm. and then it and then it came back and it oscillated back and forth through the center of the Earth and it never hit the stopping. It never got within the ten miles, <laughs> yeah. and it probably cost a couple thousand dollars for this run because I know it was expensive because at night Martin Company, the computer I was running on, would sell computer time to the to the Department of Water and Power. Baltimore, mm-hmm. and and they would run their billing on on this computer. So they're spending mm-hmm. some real money. They're, they're making real money selling time on this computer. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I picked up the two feet stack of paper and I sneaked around and found the dumpster dumpster and dumped it in there as fast as I could. <laughs> it was, well, when I got to JPL, I, this was routine. I'd, I'd make a mistake. That's a thousand bucks. Boom. <laughs> well, well, I was making twenty thousand dollars a year. And one year I spent $40,000 on computer runs. Huh. Well. And, 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 and the reason was because I'm running to try to determine if we have enough fuel to run the Viking mission. Right. And I, so it kept changing the trajectory. It kept changing what they want to do. They, they, like, for example, we're not going to land on the 4th of July because they finally figured that out. And then I, now I don't have any time, but I, I had anticipated that they, that they were going to not land on the 4th of July. So I, I had done a study where we figured all a lot of different possible landing sites and stuff like that. But so I'm making all these these runs, and it cost a lot. But I knew that in the long run, that whatever I, whatever I spent would be made up because computers would get even faster. Mm-hmm. 
And now the computer that's sitting right in front of me right now, it probably runs about 100 times faster than that 1108. Mm -hmm. And it costs, instead of $1,000 to make that run, I can make that run for two cents worth of electricity. Right. And it would take it would take only an hour. Mm-hmm. Or less, it would take less than an hour to do it. This program is, is a, or this computer is 100 times faster than that 1108. So I plan my, my development of all my programs for the future, hmm. figuring I'll spend a lot of money right now to get them to run. But then in the long run, I'll have it. Yeah. And that's what happened. So on this topic, do you have any thoughts on um, whether concept, you know, the ideas of artificial intelligence and quantum computing, how they might affect this kind of work? Or is it they'll just get faster and better? Okay, well, I'll tell you my background in artificial intelligence. Okay. Okay. When I was taking classes at Carnegie Mellon back in 1957, 58, Mm Mm-hmm. The guy who was the father of artificial intelligence was a graduate student or something like that at that time. He was mm. teaching classes, and I remember him. Newell was his name. What, but what it, was but it? Now, there's about, now there's about 20 different fathers of artificial intelligence. He's, he's hardly mentioned anymore. Mm. But he's one of the original. And Carnegie Mellon is, is really big in artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. where I went to school. That's the department that I came out of. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're the ones that did the. The chess program, the, the computer program, the one that beat the chess master, the right. Watson thing, mm-hmm. that's, that's Carnegie Mellon. That's IBM. But those guys originally, you know, they did their that work at Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. So Carnegie Mellon is a very big in AI. So I have a very, I have a reluctance to badmouth AI. Mm-hmm. However, I am a, I don't, I don't care. I tend to not care about my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if I think something's wrong, I don't like it. I, I say it, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not a big fan of AI. And and the reason is I, I think I can do things that a computer will never be able to do. I guess I guess that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Even though I recognize how valuable it is to have a computer to do things, mm-hmm. it's still a stupid animal, and mm-hmm. it's always a stupid thing to me. Well, it's it seems that, and I'm looking at one of your chapters is titled "Probability and Statistics." It seems to me that there are perhaps too many variables um, for AI to be used for, you know, determining orbits or, you know, uh, making making these sort of calculations. You know, maybe in time it'll get better, but it doesn't seem like it would work now. Yeah, well, you probably wouldn't do the statistics on a on a flight computer. But, but if you took the equations that just have to do with just making it go mm-hmm. and forget about the statistics, you're right, though. The statistics will kill you because mm-hmm. you can't do that with AI. Because you have to get – there's too much – you have to know what what variables are important at what t- part of a mission. Mm-hmm. Like if you're out in space, you know, and, you're, and there's no, there are no planets within a, a, a couple astronomical units, it's highly unlikely you're going to run into a planet. So you don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. But when you're orbiting a planet – you don't have to worry about the solar pressure because the solar pressure acts over many days and, and everything happens within a few hours when you're in orbit. Mm-hmm. So the solar pressure doesn't, doesn't do much to you because time is short. So all that's, there's a lot of that kind of knowledge you have to put to the problem. But, but, but I could write a program that would actually uh, uh, compute the trajectories optimize the trajectories, do the orbit determination. Mm-hmm. Orbit determination is, is what I've spent most of my time doing recently. Mm-hmm. And that's determining you know, where, where it is by processing a lot of data. That's not a, AI, though. It would be hard to do AI. So just to, kind of an aside, but um, I know the Chinese have a, have a satellite at, at L1, I think, you know, to for their moon mission. And um, I'm curious why... It, it, why doesn't the U.S. put a satellite up in that area, or is it too expensive? JPL, and not? JPL doesn't do everything, mm-hmm. and they, the guy at Johns Hopkins, named Farquhar, mm-hmm. he was the big guy that figured out orbits around L1. Mm-hmm. I, I worked with him on a near mission, and he actually came to work at the same company, Kinetics. He, he, he worked. He, I worked with. You know, he, he, after I left, he came to work at Kinetics. So I know him really well. He's dead now, but I don't know. So I don't know him really well. But he, he's the guy that's for sending missions to L1. Well, he's kind of a character that kind of pissed off JPL hmm. because he was always doing things that he shouldn't be doing. He would, he would trick NASA in, into putting capability onto spacecraft that they don't need so that after they 
completed their main mission, he would be able to do some other things that he wanted to do. <laughs> and he wouldn't tell anybody. Okay. And he's like, well, I like that guy. <laughs> so even though he was a jerk, I, I kind of liked him anyway. I, I, I have mixed mixed feelings about him. Mm-hmm. So JPL just stayed away. Any of the reason you don't want to go to L1, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just a mathematical point in space. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Now, you can use it as a staging point for a spacecraft mm-hmm. because you can orbit L1. Mm-hmm. But if you look, but my, the trajectory I designed goes very close to L1. It, it goes by L1. And he, it, so Farquhar claims that he had invented what, you know, what I had invented. Uh. And, and this is before I'm sorry, before he's going to be the mission off. He was the uh, mission uh, manager for this near mission that I worked on for five years, you know, at, at APL. Mm-hmm. But I'm at JPL. So I, if I'm at JPL, uh, I pointed out to the management at JPL after I had agreed to work on it, you know, and all that. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay, they're going to use my software. So I was like, okay, let's go in. I said, there's a, one little problem here, though. I said, uh, I'm not going to take any crap at all from APL, and I'm not going to do, do anything that they want me to do unless I think it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be independent. And the reason is because it's, it's illegal for me to work for APL. Mm-hmm. It's written into the uh, law that JPL is not allowed to, to have any of their employees go and work for some other organization. Mm-hmm. That was back in the 60s. Okay. And as far as I know, that law is still on the books. Okay. So a JPL employee is not allowed to go and work for Lockheed, you know, as part-time, you know, like that, or under them. They have to work under JPL, at JPL. Right. Well, we were, I was working under Johns Hopkins because they didn't know how to do navigation, so they needed us. And so I wanted to make it, keep it such that we would work uh, and do the navigation, but, but but do it as an independent operation at JPL and then just do it for, for, for them, like we do all the other missions. Mm-hmm. But this was such a complicated mission, and it's a reason that I that I uh, decided I wanted to work on it. I, normally, if it's a simple mission, I won't. If I thought anybody else could do it, I try to get them to do it. Mm-hmm. And if, and if there's nobody else, if I think that there's nobody else that can do it but me, then I'll work on it. Otherwise, I don't want to be bothered. Okay. So this was one of the missions that I thought I had to do it because of my software, and I'm the only one that really knows how my software works. Mm-hmm. And if I just walk away from the software, they'll never be able to figure it out. So I'm, work, I'm working on this mission with Farquhar, and he says that he says that, uh, that that he had thought about this trajectory because you know because he's got because it goes close to L1, it goes out there about a million. L1's about a million, about nine hundred thousand kilometers away out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so one time I'm at a conference, and he made this statement. You know, we're at a conference, I'm standing there, and I told him, I said, I said, all right, I said, do you have a paper that documents that that you have done this work before? And he kind of didn't answer me. And I said, well, okay, if you don't have a paper, I appreciate you keeping your mouth shut because, because, because I don't, I don't figure that I should have to answer people who, who are claiming to have done something where they have never documented it, mm-hmm. which is the way science works, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you do something and you don't write a paper, it's like you didn't do it. Right. So I kept reminding a lot of people of that because they kept saying that they did something this day. I said, look, did you write a paper? No. Okay. Then you didn't do it. <laughs> Okay, got it. So I did that to Farquhar. So Farquhar decided he doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. So for five years, I'm working under him, and he did everything he could to make sure he didn't have to talk to me even, practically. But that was good for me because I wasn't going to listen to him anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's kind of like I, you know, I, I, I've never been nice to managers because I don't like them, but I, but I always got along with the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I was did what you have to do. You have to treat everybody like you're your equal. You can't be, you can't treat people like you're the, you're the smart guy and they're the dumb guy. Mm-hmm. You do that. You're just not going to get anywhere. Management does that all the time. They just yeah. think that, they, that whatever they decide, that's the truth. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. But once you get in the, into a position where you're the, where you're the manager and whatever you just decide is what everybody has to go along with, mm-hmm. which is like Trump, like working for Trump, then, then you, you, never, you never get anywhere. Nobody wants to work for you. Yeah, and not being a manager, I had a, tre- I had a tremendous advantage because I could threaten people too. Mm-hmm. I could threaten them. I could say if I didn't like what they were doing, and I thought it was wrong, I could say, "Okay, take it to your supervisor, and if he agrees with you, then then we can then I'll get my supervisor, and we'll get together. And if you're right, I'm going to quit, and you and you and you and you could take over because I because I will never work on a project unless I'm right. 
there's any question about me being right, I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> I won that argument all the time. Nobody ever wanted to go to challenge me. <laughs> I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. You can find more information on the Springer website for the book. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it and review it if you can. Please go to my Facebook page, Spacewalks Money Talks, to find links to interesting space-related videos created by others. Please go to my Twitter page at SpacewalksMT for links to space news and science information. Please check out my Instagram page, Spacewalks Money Talks, for space photos. Please check out my YouTube channel, Spacewalks Money Talks, for space-related videos I've made. You can also sign up for my newsletter at SpacewalksMoneyTalks.com. In the newsletter, I post video and news links, as well as regular updates on new space, science, business, and history books being published. If you're interested in other kinds of history, such as military history, or film TV books and comic books history, including science fiction, fantasy, and horror themes, you can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. Thank you for your support. And now back to the podcast. But stepping back to L1, the reason I ask about that is because isn't that why the Chinese are able to put their um their probe on the far side of the moon because they have a communication satellite up around that area? That's why I was asking about it. Oh, yeah. That that could be a that that makes sense. In other words, that, that would L one would be out there that that you could then look look at a spacecraft on the backside of the moon. Yeah. yeah. So um so that's just and, and, you know I, and and, I, and I'm sure the Chinese are aware of my trajectory. There was a Japanese that, that had a spacecraft that was stranded, mm-hmm. and um, I had more fun with that than just about anything that I've done because the Japanese don't like to ever admit that they've done anything wrong. Well. Welcome to JPL. You try to find somebody that uh, try to get Trump to admit that he's done anything wrong. That yeah. that'd be easier than getting JPL management to ever admit that they've done something <laughs> wrong. Japanese are even worse. Oh really? And so, so, so the fact that I ge- generated this trajectory uh, meant that the Japanese would have to admit that that they didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. They, you know, okay, that they were wrong essentially. Yeah. Oh, they first of all they didn't even want to admit that the spacecraft had failed. They didn't want their okay. So, so all kinds. Of, this was a very bad decision on their part mm-hmm. because they even wrote it. I even have a, a, a telegram that they wrote to my manager, mm-hmm. uh, essentially telling my manager that uh, to, to silence these guys that are making too much noise. You know, talking about me. Mm-hmm. And my manager, he, he gave me the he gave it to me. He's laughing. You know. I said, uh, I remember telling him one time. I said, "Look, I'm not giving. I'm not giving them my work. That's all, that's it. I'm mm. taking credit for it. I don't want, care what. I don't care what they think." Yeah. But at one, at one point, uh, the NASA administrator went to um, Japan and he was talking to a bunch of people there and, and giving a talk. and And he used as an example that this trajectory was one of the great things that JPL said that uh, where there was cooperation between the Japan and the United States. Mm. He had no knowledge of how little cooperation there was. <laughs> but on the other hand, when after I got the trajectory, the, the problem was to 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 send a um, the problem was uh, informing Japan about the, about this trajectory so that they know that they could do this. Well, they're 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 sitting up there with the spacecraft going around the Earth, you know, and 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 they're, it's it's time critical. Mm-hmm. Well, so I got the memo written. My friend wrote it. Actually, we both wrote it together, and and then the the, the Deep Space Network supplies the money to us. They gave me twenty five thousand dollars to study this thing, mm-hmm. and and I gave half of the twenty five thousand to my to the guy down the hall because he was helping me. Uh, I, I, you you can't buy me off with money. You have to get twenty five is too little to buy me off. <laughs> so, I, so I'm concerned. Okay, so anyhow, they so then. They have to send the the, the uh, memo over to Japan, and 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 they sit on it. They won't do it because there's there's absolutely nothing that you could do or event that that management at JPL is gonna is, is gonna back you up on. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to assume that you did something wrong, and they're not going to do anything because you know, they don't want. They don't want. You're going to get in trouble. They're afraid you're going to get in trouble by sending my trajectory over there. Mm-hmm. So I told the guy. I said, "Look, here's this." who was working with the BSN guys. I said, if you don't send that memo over there today, I'm going to send it. They don't have any choice in this matter. That memo has to go to Japan, mm-hmm. even though we're, we're giving them something that we could write up and keep secret and, and, and write all kinds of papers about, mm-hmm. just a trajectory. But they, they have a real mission, and, and, and this is money. Mm-hmm. So they need to know this. And, and and some stupid bureaucrat at JPL is not I'm not going to sit around and let some stupid bureaucrat hold that up from them getting this information. Right. So so we sent it over. They sent it over immediately. Immediately, I get a telegram back from Japan. And it says something like, thanks a lot. This is really the greatest thing we've seen. It actually, it's a day later because they actually did some work to verify that what I, what I was saying was true. Mm-hmm. This is this is really wonderful. Your, your discovery, you know, they gave the guy gave me total credit for everything, and it was. And I thought, gee, this is great. And I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're certainly after that, their management finds out that we had done this, and they want to they want they want to squash us and get us out of the loop and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I had this memo, or this this, this uh, uh, email, I guess it was, and I stuck it in my file, and I thought, if I if I bring this to their attention. The guy that sent it to me is really going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know who he was. Sure. I did know a number of guys in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want, this uh, email that he sent me is never going to see the light of day mm-hmm. unless it's absolutely necessary. It's still in my file. I never sent it. I never showed it to anybody. Mm-hmm. But I but I, I did work, one of the guys over in Japan, a young guy, he was a very young guy. Mm-hmm. Yamakawa was his name. He took this work that I had done and Ed, okay, include Ed too, and I do now because I, it's fifty-fifty. I, I've given up on trying to get a hundred percent credit for this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he he did his PhD thesis on it, mm-hmm. and he and he did some really good work. The problem was he's putting a lot of stuff in there that I had done myself. You know, I understood and done what I understood. I, he's explaining it. But I had never written a memo like that explaining anything. I just showing the results of the trajectory mm. without explaining it. I didn't have time to do the explanations. And and he kind of, he did such a really great job. And I figured, well, you know, I guess it's too late for me to, now I can't write the same thing down again, do that again. Mm. But but so I became friends with this guy, more or less. Mm. It's hard to become friends with Japanese engineers, by the way, because they're so afraid of their management. Uh. Well, this guy is now a very, I mentioned that his boss at the time, June, I, he, he, I, I see him at the conferences from time to time. Mm-hmm. And, and the last time I saw him, I said, well, how's Yamakawa doing? Because I didn't, I don't know what's going on. You know, this is like 20, this is 25 years ago now, okay, mm-hmm. when I was doing it. And, and, and he looked at me and, and, and he said, oh, he's fine, you know. And I did this search and run. I determined Yamakawa is now way high up in the Japanese space program. Oh, wow. He's like really important, mm-hmm. and I and I know him. Mm-hmm. I could I could call him up and talk to him. You know, I, I couldn't do that at JPL. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> would know me. <laughs> yeah, huh. that's pretty cool. Did Did you yeah. do any work on the anything with the International Space Station for any reason? No, I know I've never worked on anything manned. Okay. Uh, I worked on a rocket one time. I worked on the last rocket the JPL ever made. Mm-hmm. And what was that? I, I, could, I, I, I don't. This is a whole story. I could tell you these stories. I could take. We can go on for another four hours. I could keep telling you these stories because I, I remember them all. Because because anything that strikes me as funny or unusual, I, I I can't stop remembering it. Oh yeah, sticks with you. But during during the Vietnam War in 1966, right before the Tet Offensive. Mm-hmm. The Air Force came to JPL and asked them to get support to, the, to design some weaponry for the for the for the for the war effort. Mm-hmm. And the problem that they were having, well, there were a couple of problems. One one was um, uh, the mortars were, were they were firing mortar rounds into the the base at Dan Dan I think, mm-hmm. and they didn't know where the mortars were coming from because they were in the jungle. Mm-hmm. So what they did came up with is they put these micro, JPL designed the system to put microphones around around the Air Force base, and they're called hot wire microphones. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's a jug 
about as big as a gallon jug, and it, ha- and it has a mouth at the top that's about an inch or two uh, across, and they string a hot wire across there. And when the ground wave from a mortar blast hits the, comes across that jug, the air goes into the jug and cools the wire. So you can get a computer, uh, you can detect that electronically, and you get a you get a you get a time stamp for when the wave hit that jug. Okay. Well, then you get three or four of them, and you can triangulate and find out where the mortar is coming from. Mm-hmm. I worked a little bit on that, but not very much. I'm hmm. glad I didn't because one of the guys at JPL was doing this, and he got killed. Oh, you went out there. He went out there to do it, yeah. I, I never got that far, but I worked on a target marker. We had a, a rocket. They had a, they would fire these white phosphorus, which is, turns out to be, uh, uh, um, it's like it's like a war crime, I think, just to fire these people because white phosphorus is really bad when it gets on you. I didn't know that at the time. Right. But they were using these white phosphorus rockets with white, white phosphorus warheads on them, and they'd fire them from a Cessna airplane. The airplane would fly around, and they'd see something that they want to uh, bomb, and they'd, and they'd, and they'd fire this, these things at them. Mm-hmm. The reason that they would fire them would be to create a, a, a puff of smoke. Mm-hmm. They didn't fire them at people, necessarily. But then the a, A-1 aircraft would circle around at 10,000 feet, and they'd come down and bomb that target. Got it. So yeah. it was a target, target capability. Yeah. So we came up with a rocket where we put... Uh, some stuff that chemicals into the into the propellant so that when it fired it would be a, it would create a smoky trail. Ah. So be a smoky trail from the Cessna down to the ground mm-hmm. because otherwise the the, the air, guys up in the airplanes they wouldn't see it because the the, 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 the puff of smoke was under their jungle foliage. Ah, uh, so you have sort of an arrow, almost like a, a smoke arrow to the point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When we had. It was more complicated than that, but anyhow, I, I wound up uh, working on that for about a year or so, mm-hmm. and we went on and, and uh, made some test uh, test firings at, at uh, San Clemente Island, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, we, and we we had this rocket program going on. And I'm supporting um, the reason I'm doing it was because uh, everybody else wants to work on space, and they didn't want to work on anything military. Right. Yeah. Well, I had all this military experience, so so but, you know I, I must have uh, killed half of the world's population uh, in studies of, of, of dropping bombs on Russia or something like that. So, I was working on, on the Minuteman program. Yeah, and see that I run the program and it, it, it hit targets, and we we just, we just make up targets and, and do that just to see if the program is working. Oh, that's that's so, what me. I, I didn't have any conscience when it came to working on things like. So I'd love to talk about the other stuff, but with the time, I'll um, well, maybe we can talk in the future. But right now, I'll wrap it up for the, for this book discussion. Do you see any uh, technological advancements coming up um, that could affect any of this work that you describe in in the book? Well, mostly, I I think that I could, with what's in that book, mm-hmm. navigate any mission that, that the U.S. is likely to do in the near future, okay. six hundred years probably. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in the any, in other words, if you wanted to go to a star, that would that would be. Uh, I haven't thought about that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but anything, you know, I, the the mission that when I worked at Kinetics, that was the last five years after before I retired in nineteen two thousand and three. I guess I retired. Mm-hmm. No, no, two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. Five years I worked there on on the New Horizons mission to Pluto. That was our mission. Okay. And, and that involved, you know, since there's a four-hour light time, it takes four hours for light to get from here to Pluto and then four hours for it to get back. Mm-hmm. So, when you, so when you're trying to track, you know, you have to wait for a long time before yeah. you can close the, close the tracking loop, so to speak. Yeah. We count, in other words, we got, essentially what we do is we count a billion times a second times four hours worth of seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all that light goes then to, to Pluto, and then so so you got a billion times four times three thousand six hundred 
times two mm-hmm. pulses you're counting. We count them, and, and you can't miss one. If you do, that's, that's, gonna, that's a 13-centimeter error. Okay. So that's how we navigate by, by, by doing that. And, and, and so that's the last bit of extra technology that I did. Mm-hmm. Now, there are hardware improvements that are coming up that I don't have anything to do with. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, there's a guy that I used to work with at JPL. I've heard that he quit the navigation section because I guess he got tired of it, too. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's always... If you're ambitious and you and you want to make money or advance, you know you have to get out of the navigation section because it's, it's it can be a real dead end. The kind of work that I do is a dead end. No, nobody nobody follows in my footsteps at JPL. They look at me and they say, "I don't want to do what that guy does." <laughs> but this guy this, went over to work with the science mm-hmm. on an atomic clock. If you could if you could put a, an atomic clock on a spacecraft, that's what you need to. to to count these, you know, to count these pulses I'm talking about a billion mm-hmm. times, times four times that, you know, mm-hmm. many billion of pulses. You need an atomic clock to keep track of it. Okay. So the atomic clock actually hydrogen masers that are at the tracking stations. Mm-hmm. And so he's they're, they're, they want to put an atomic clock. So he's working on that, putting an atomic clock on a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Now he goes over there. And I doubt that he has a degree in electrical engineering. So if you're not working on elect- the electrical aspect of it, then what are you doing over there? Mm-hmm. I guess they figure they needed him to figure out how you'd use it for navigation. Mm-hmm. But then he's not going to be responsible for anything that has to do with navigation if he's not working in an electronics uh, instrument section. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the, so I stayed away from uh, uh, doing anything with hardware. Once I once I left the once I finished uh, Mariner seven Mariner six and seven that was my last time I worked on hardware. Before that, I worked on lots of hardware. Oh, okay. And then it's all computers for me. Mm-hmm. So there, new computer technology, I think you can forget about it. Like I, I told one guy, uh, they were telling me that how wonderful they can get they get along with management because the management has improved so much at JPL since I was there. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, the reason it's improved so much is because you're not doing anything. <laughs> And it's just true. It's essentially true. Because yeah. I did, I said, well, of course I added on to that. I said, because I did it all before I left, mm. <laughs> which uh. is also true. <laughs> At the time, I didn't know that was true, but I think that's true. Yeah. There isn't anything left to do. Mm. Hey, it makes well, sense. That was true when I worked at the nuclear submarine. Mm-hmm. Then all the work had been done in, in, the, in, the, in the late 40s and the early 50s. I guess the Nautilus was launched around 1954, I guess. Mm-hmm. All the work had, 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 as the high nuclear safety was done before I got there. Mm-hmm. So now they hire me in. So why would they hire a guy that doesn't know anything about it to do this do this very important work? And the reason is their attitude was it's all done and nuclear power plants are perfectly 100% safe and you don't have to worry about anything yeah. because they're safe. Yeah. And so that was before Three Mile Island. That was before Chernobyl. That was before Puku Puku, you know, the Japanese thing. Mm-hmm. And But but while I was at, J, at Westinghouse, a reactor blew up in, in up at Arco, Idaho, and, and we we were sort of responsible for for the safety of that reactor. When we came, we became, they immediately made us responsible for it. Mm-hmm. But the guys at Arco were, were, were and it, what happened is the guy pulled a control rod out of the reactor. It blew up and pit, and and pinned them to the ceiling and killed three of them right on the spot. And they buried them in lead coffins. Yeah. And, and at the time, I just assumed this was all secret, mm-hmm. and and, I, and I, so I never said anything about it to anybody for for, for uh, many years. And then I saw a TV show, and it had the whole thing on a TV yeah. recently, Freedom of Information Act. But 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 nobody talks about that. That that's the that is the only explosion of a nuclear reactor that it was an accident ever in in, in the United States. Hmm. Okay, All the other things were just meltdowns. That you, it was meltdowns after you shut the reactor down. Right. It's a pretty good safety record, I guess. Yeah, well, that's what they, they kept... Having me work on safety was perfectly safe because there wasn't really anything to do. <laughs> However, when I went to Martin, we were, I, I got to work on a reactor that was new. See? Everything hadn't been done. Mm-hmm. And I managed to do one, one, one thing there. It was very important, but uh, I didn't know that it was important until 50 years later. Mm-hmm. A paper that I wrote back in 1963 wound up on the ResearchGate website mm-hmm. 50 years later. 
and I thought it, 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 they were asking me if if I was the author of this paper. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, I said, no. I, and I looked at it again, and I recognized <laughs> the other two authors. Uh, I said, wait, that is me. <laughs> <laughs> You've done so many great things that the, the older stuff gets forgotten, right? Yeah. If you do something great, I've done a couple. If you can do three great things mm-hmm. in your life, three noteworthy things, that's it. You're a success, a big success. Yeah. And these these things that you do that if you and you worked at it really hard for like five or ten years, and then you have then something happens that, that you you discover something that that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the time you discover it, you're absolutely convinced that it's nothing important. I've uh, had this experience two or three times now. So uh, you don't do anything. You just say, they look at it, okay, big deal. Once you, look, once you understand it, it's, it's simple, so you don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that it's makes hard sense. To realize that, it's hard to realize that nobody else has ever done this before. Yeah. But when you work in space, the one thing nice about working in space at the time I worked in it, it, it wasn't worn out like, like the nuclear. In the space program, there were a lot of things that had not been discovered that were new. And you can actually work on for, for work on missions for the. I was working on most of the missions I worked on. I was the first time it's been it's sort of been done. Mm-hmm. And so you could do when you do something, you, you almost everything you do is something that's new. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever discovered anything that any any uh, a really great scientist or mathematician would think would be significant. Mm. But but if it, but if it involves a lot of money, that, then to me it's significant. Yeah. Can, where can people find you on the web? Do you do website, uh, web page, or social media at all, or anything like that? I, I had I had a web page, and the last time I went looking for it about a year ago, it wasn't there anymore. The company that had the web page just went out of business. Oh, and then my web page just went with them. Yeah, I thought I owned the website, but I, apparently I don't. Oh, it's one of those deals. Yeah. Where they actually registered in their name. I kind of lost their. I had put a couple of papers that I had written on that website. Mm-hmm. The ones that, well, I, I put them on there with the idea that these are things that I that, that I've done that I think have been overlooked mm-hmm. because nobody nobody recognizes that I did them. Mm-hmm. And but they're significant to me. So I, I was trying to I was trying to gin up information for for me to be a consultant. So, oh. so I was trying to brag a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Springer, my publisher, managed to get a hold of that website because I, I detected that from some of the things that they said that they got that off of the website. Huh. I'm me bragging about doing something, you know. Right. Okay. So well, one of the things that have been very hard for me to do, my wife has no sympathy for me at all. She thinks I'm a narcissist. One of the things that I learned very early in my career, when you, when, I, when I first started working on, on the, in the military end of it, Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russians were, we were, you know, you know, it was Cold War. And the Russians were beating us to just to, to the punch on just about everything. Mm-hmm. And so my my thought was, and everybody's thought was, you know, we're we're sort of competing with the Russians. So anybody who 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 was a prima donna and wanted wanted to get credit for what they did. Nobody got credit for anything. In fact, you would write huge documents, and your name wasn't even on them. Hmm. They, like, like the reactor plant manual, our, the group that I worked in, we all did, did different sections of it. Mm-hmm. The reactor plant manual was like four volumes, and there were like, you know, really, you know, lots and lots of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. About, about tw- twenty guys that wrote it, and nobody's name is on it. Hmm. Well, when I, the first place that I ever went to work were if you did something that was kind of like an official project thing where your name was on it, the mm-hmm. JPL, they were the only they were the only people that, because Caltech really has a big deal about publishing. Mm-hmm. They want your name on it. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is that now all of a sudden, instead of having having people who don't care at all about getting recognition for anything, your recognition is you get a pay raise. Oh. And 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 that's it. You never, nobody gets recognized for being smart about anything. Everybody's just dumb and equal. Right. Well, whereas at JPL now, you've got all these prima donnas there. Hmm. And they're all trying to be, uh, do, do things that get in the newspaper and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, so I just kind of ignored that crap for about 20 or five years. And then I just said, well, since I'm not working and supporting the projects like I used to, and I'm doing all these papers. I I should get recognition for for for, for my papers at least. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that 
the, the prima donnas are right. If you're, <laughs> if you're not if you're not a prima donna, you're not going to get anywhere at JPL. Yeah. So I so I forced myself into be into becoming an extremely egotistical, uh, whatever you want to say, uh, 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 person. Hmm. I, I, I do everything and I'm perfect and I never make a mistake, all that kind of crap. Yeah. And it's the only way you can survive in an environment like that. Hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, think things go to my head, you know, when, when, once, if, if you get a little bit of success and recognition, it, it always goes to your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you begin to believe, you believe, you begin to believe you really are smart. <laughs> People keep telling you that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the guy that stole the paper from me, Time Magazine had a list of the of the hundred most influential people in the entire United States of America. Mm-hmm. He, he made that list. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I thought to myself, I thought he's influential. He doesn't have any influence over me. <laughs> I got more influence than him. <laughs> if, if, if it ever came to an argument about anything I was doing and he got involved in it, I can't imagine that anybody would listen to him over me. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I know those lists are kind of, but he, but he was, but he was the TV guy. He's always on TV. Everything, everything happened. He's a, he shows up on TV a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Though some people know how to sell themselves. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, some people are not. If you do the kind of work that I did, you can't be interested in selling yourself. You have to have other people sell you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I, I, so I, I, I do t- try to keep enough friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like my favorite uh, quote from John Don, no man is an island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't be an island. No. I don't care how smart you think you are. Yeah. Even Einstein couldn't be an island. Yep. That's true. You have to have other people recognize your work, and they have to support you. Otherwise, you're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's all the questions I have. Do you have any uh, final thoughts or words? Uh, I hope I covered enough about about why I wrote the book. I don't know if you, if, you, if I if I said much about that or at all, but yeah, you um, did. I think yeah. the fa- the main reason that I wrote the book, I wanted to tell you that, mm-hmm. is, is because I thought that I I looked at the books that are out there, mm-hmm. and they don't really describe how you actually do navigation. And people at JPL who would be capable of writing a book like this mm-hmm. don't want to do it because, because, uh, like we always say, it's like making sausage. Mm-hmm. You don't want to tell anybody what you put in it. Mm. Yeah. So we, when we dealt with any outside agency, that was the first thing we would say. Well, we, we will do the navigation, but we got to make sure we never let them. We tell them that it's it's like making sausage, but we're never going to tell them how, how we actually do it, what goes in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And if they did, if they did, they're just going to criticize. Yeah, yeah. So, so I held all that back for for thirty years, mm-hmm. and I stayed with it, realizing I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. But I enjoyed the work I was doing. I always enjoyed my work. Yeah. That's important. If you can do that, that's the number one thing to do. And I give that, that's the advice that I would give any student. Mm-hmm. Don't take a job because you're going to make 20% more money. Mm-hmm. If, if you, if you enjoy the job that you're doing right now better, stay mm-hmm. and do what you enjoy doing. It, it takes a lot of money to pry, to pry me away from what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And yeah. they're just not going to have the money to do it. Yeah. You want to be motivated when you wake up in the morning and go to work. Yes, that's right. Well, not only that, but a lot of most of the problems I solve, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and then I start thinking about them, and that's when I solve them. Yeah. What I like about my job more than anything else, especially since I'm so heavily involved with mathematics, is that I can do it anywhere I am. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be at a desk. I don't have to be in a car. I don't have to be anywhere. I can just walk, be walking down the street, and I can start working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thinking true. about it, and then I think things. You know, you know, you know one of the things that I was talking about something about writer's block. I never had writer's block writing a book mm-hmm. because what I do is, is I walk around and I compose essentially what I'm going to say in my in my head, and I go over and over it about a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And then when I sit down to write it, it just it's just easy to it, the words just flow right out onto the paper. Yeah, worst thing in the world you can do is sit down in front of a terminal. And deciding you're going to write something, and without having thought about it beforehand. Right. Yeah, that's good. You're advice. just going to sit there and stare at the terminal. You're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, that's true. 
Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for speaking with me. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Space Walks Money Talks, please subscribe to it and rate it and review it if possible. I have many other options as well to get great space information. You can find links to interesting space videos on my Facebook page, Space Walks Money Talks. You can find links to interesting space news articles and academic information on my Twitter page, SpacewalksMT. You can find photos on my Instagram page, Spacewalks Money Talks. You can find my videos on my YouTube page, Spacewalks Money Talks. You can also sign up for my newsletter at SpacewalksMoneyTalks.com. In the newsletter, I post additional video and news links as well as regular updates on new space science, business, and history books being published. Thank you for listening.